It should be obvious that we cannot solve a crisis with the same methods that got us into it in the first place. This is a last chance saloon. Because if we don't really take the decisions that are vital now, it's going to be almost impossible to catch up. We will end the moratorium on extracting our huge reserves of shale, which could get glass flowing as soon as six months. If unprecedented changes are not made and made soon, there will be irreversible damage to the planet. Zero carbon. East tall. Hello and welcome to Zero Carbonista Series 4 Falls Gold. I'm Ian Collins and this is the UK's number one environment-based podcast. If it's green, it's in. And it's been a heck of a week with people debating as to who is on the guest list for the King's coronation. One man who we know will absolutely be there with Tiara on head is the green entrepreneur and environmentalist <laughs> Dale Fitz. Well, I like that Sorry. image. I like that. Well, image. that's I, I kind of lost it at the end there because it was I had literally had the image in my head of you sitting there with jewels and stuff. Who's jewels? <laughs> Crown <laughs> jewels. Jewels. Gotcha. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you'll take jewels as your plus one. Um, yeah, I, I'm taking you haven't been invited, but would you would you have gone? No, I wouldn't have gone, actually, um, you know, not to be rude or anything like that. But, you know, it's not my thing. I don't think that actually – I was going to say I don't think we should have a monarchy, but I'm just going to change that, uh, you know, mid-sentence because I don't mind if we have one, but I think we shouldn't pay for it. We certainly shouldn't shovel the huge sums of money uh, at these people, this family yeah. – that we do, you know, especially in a time of a cost of living crisis and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, in the last week or two, the Guardian have been releasing stories about the incredible wealth of uh, King Charles as he is now and the royal family and, you know, the, the, the money, the jewels, the properties, all that kind of stuff. And, you know, people say the royal family is a tourist attraction. I say, fine, keep Buckingham Palace, you know, keep a few royals. Uh, but look, they're rich enough to pay for it themselves. I would agree with that. The only thing, the caveat I was going to put in, Dale, uh, and I've, I've always been confused about this, and I'm sure over the last couple of years we must have touched on this at some point in a podcast, but isn't Charles the Chris Packham of royalty? Is he not a man who's so envi- so environmentally geared up that he's telling it like it is and he messes up people's opinions in government because they know that he's a true green royal? Is that true or false? I say false. And what you touched upon there is another great concern that we should have, that he, he messes with government decisions, with laws, as, uh, as his mother did before him, the Queen. You know, they have these secret prerogative powers. I'm only just now learning the extent to which they're being used. Before the government passes a law, they check in with the royal family to see if it's okay. And last year, we talked about how the Queen had carved herself an exemption from some uh, Scottish legislation to enable renewable energy cables basically to run across people's land. And she said, yeah, okay, but not my land, exempting large chunks of Scotland from this very important legislation. We don't yet know what else they quite interfere with. But I see it as a fundamental problem. This is meant to be a democracy. The royal family are meant to be figureheads. That's not how it's working at the moment. Everything you just said is right, but he's talked the talk, if that makes sense. Yeah, he has. You know, um, I met him a couple of times, not recently, maybe 10 years ago was the last time. And, you know, we talked about wind energy and basically said, you know, he's a fan of it, but not the big ones, just the little ones. Right now, for me, that's a fundamental problem because the little ones are for fun, right? Largely, they they power a house and that kind of stuff. Is he talking about the stuff you get in Amsterdam? Is that what he was talking about? Little nice (laughs) sort of Trumpton type windmills. I don't like the ones that actually do stuff. 
Well, that's that's an interesting image to conjure up, actually, because I do wonder if that's the kind of world that he, you know, he'd like to see, or the kind of Britain they'd like to see us have. You know, I'm sure that also we would disagree quite strongly about diet, about the role that animals should or shouldn't play in in our diets and that kind of stuff, and farming as well, uh, which is linked to the same thing. So, no, I don't see him as a, a progressive person of the, of the kind that we need he may be more progressive than some other royals for sure but mm. uh, that's not enough that's not nearly enough it's not hard to do either it's <laughs> a low bar right but it's a very low bar uh, let's go <laughs> let's go to this one uh, net zero drive will leave uk homes more vulnerable to power cuts i guess this kind of makes sense what's the story here Dale? I got to call bullshit on this one, right? Because I read that headline and, and clearly the implication is because we're going to net zero, we're going to be more vulnerable to power cuts. I mean, that's black and white what it says. Read the article. That's not what it's saying at all. The story is about how increased storms and, and the other kind of impacts of the climate crisis are going to blow overhead power lines down and we aren't adapted for it. The story's got nothing to do with driving to net zero and everything to do with not being ready for the climate crisis that is upon us. When I said that makes sense, that was precisely the point I was I was driving at, that <laughs> clearly, you know, if we were geared up for this, it would be fine, but we're not geared up. So it could be a, a complete shitter because the government haven't put the right infrastructure and the measures in place. It's just one more thing that the government aren't doing. But for me, this is a great example of what the right-wing media are being busy doing. Like I spent last week uh, on the radio with a few different people. Julie Hartley Brewer was like uh, the one that kind of uh, struck me the most. I'm not sure if I talked to you about this. Oh, I did, didn't I? I did. Yes. Uh, was, this was about the wheel, wasn't it? Yeah, that's what she was saying. Environmentalists want us to... I don't know, live in caves, go back to the Middle Ages and, and stop using the wheel. I mean, that's an extreme example. But uh, right-wing pundits generally are saying that net zero is costing us, is putting up our cost of living and that kind of stuff. This, this is a narrative. And so this from the Telegraph is perfectly in tune with that. Net zero will give us power cuts. That's bullshit. That's not what the article actually says. That's just the headline. Do they just hope that their readers only read the headline. Because it's, I mean, to, in fairness, they have actually printed the story, just not in the headline. No, that's right. But, you know, headlines have an effect, don't they? Before you Completely. read the story, you, you go into it with that, you know, thinking, oh, yeah, I, I know what this story is about. And a lot of people only read the headlines, right? I cruise the headlines, you know, quite, quite frequently because I hope to catch the essence of the story and I'm busy. And so I move on. If you just cruise that headline, you're going to go, oh, yeah, one more thing that Net Zero is going to do for us is going to give us more power cuts. And it's not true. It's not true. Um, here's a headline. Like a dam breaking, experts hail decision to let U.S. climate lawsuits advance. What's going on here? Well, uh, three major U.S. And, and actually global oil companies have been resisting being sued by federal authorities and all kinds of other people in the U.S. for like nearly 10 years or something. And they've been trying to move the court cases out of the uh, state courts and up to the national courts or the federal courts. I'm not sure what they call them. Uh, but the Supreme Court ruled on that this week and said, no, the, the uh, court cases should take place at the state level. It's the states that are suing them, after all, and it followed plenty of legal precedent. So it wasn't it shouldn't have been an unexpected decision, but the, you know, the guys involved are saying exactly that. It's like a dam breaking because there's been nearly 10 years of delay and obfuscation by these oil companies. They are now going to face their day in court. Yeah. It's being compared to Big Tobacco, who for decades deceived their customers about the perils of smoking and made lots of money from it. And one day they were sued, and I think they paid $200 billion in compensation, and it changed the way tobacco was advertised and sold. If this does the same thing for fossil fuels, it will be amazing. Here's a question from Sam on Twitter. 
Twitter. Well done, Dale, for the way you handled Howard on Talk TV. Uh, <laughs> he seemed to have a different set of facts to reality. Uh, to be honest, I, I also saw that interview, uh, Dale. I thought the host was fantastic. <laughs> yeah, host doesn't get enough credit. That I was reckon. the real standout moment for me, frankly. I don't know who the other two guys were. <laughs> um, it was an interesting one, wasn't it? So Howard Cox is the head of something called Fair Fuel UK. Um, I love the fact we live in a democracy. You know, we're not North Korea. So if somebody has a a campaign group or an organization, that's brilliant. The trouble is he has a completely different view on life to you, Dale. I mean, clearly his day job, or or at least his campaigning day job, is is all about cheaper fossil fuels. And he comes on your radio show, and uh, everything I tell him that's factual about the climate crisis, about the numbers, the money we spend here and there, you know, the the anything, just anything, everything I said, he said, no, that's not true, uh, that's not true, and uh, and uh, you know, eventually is just just a bit beyond crazy. This is a guy that said like uh, he's been called a climate denier, but he's not. He just thinks it's the weather. We do have climate change uh, but it's not a crisis it's just the weather but he's not a climate denier yeah but here's the (laughs) here's the the thing dale he's right and you're wrong and the reason i mention that is because howard and other people who share howard's view absolutely unequivocally a hundred percent believe that now you debate this stuff. You do it on my program. You do it in Mike Graham. You do it on the BBC Sky, wherever, in different places. You're used to that argument, that which is a kind of an impenetrable argument. How do you deal with that then? What What do you think afterwards? Do you want to cry? Do you want to scream? Do you want to laugh? <laughs> well, he, he was a really extreme example, Howard, because all, all he had in his locker was to say, "Look, that's not true." And, and I'm like, "Have you read the IPCC report?" He's like, "Yeah, I read it, but it's not right." Uh, and I'm like, "Well, there are a thousand scientists that have been working on this for decades, you know, studying data, and you're saying you know better than them." And basically, say, "Yes, he does." And what can you do with a man like they offered to debate with me? Didn't he? he said, "Let's set aside a whole day." And I thought, "My God, you know, what, what kind of awful day that would be?" And then afterwards, I thought, "But that that would be unfair, right?" Because in a battle of wits he's an unarmed man what can you do with a man like howard i mean that surely was a sitcom from the 70s wasn't it It (laughs) frankie howard kind of starring uh i'm seeing maybe barbara windsor in a cameo (laughs) maybe but he wasn't he wasn't unlike julia hartley brewer really in that he just denied everything i said he he called them emotive facts at one point i said well thanks for at least acknowledging their facts it was a good line actually yes it was a good line yes i think that was i think he dropped the ball in his own argument at that point the emotive (laughs) facts so there it is and of course facts are emotive when uh, when what's involved is is like awful right how can that be emotive (laughs) exactly yeah here's a fact lots of people get run over by cars every year that's emotive right i mean that's because it's a horrible fact but it's still a fact it's still a fact and he, he had a girl up said he can't towards the end of your show yeah. i think talk about how that's another great example i think i was off air by then but i was listening and he's like uh, you know talking about four thousand deaths a year like he made it up government statistics say that forty thousand people a year die in the whole country so i don't doubt that the four thousand is actual government data not sadiq khan making it up but howard just doesn't have a clue but he never mentioned the wheel well, at least he didn't do that. I mean, he gets a house point for th- there was no wheel reference. He didn't go Julia Hartley Brewer on you with the wheel. And I'm now trying to think what the wheel reference was. Didn't she say something about uninventing it or something? Absolutely. She said environmentalists, people like me, they want us to live in caves and stop using the wheel. And then she said to me later in the show, well, you know, if it's all as bad as you're saying it is, should I get hysterical? And I'm like, I think you're hysterical enough this morning, Julia, <laughs> <Talking> about <laughs> uninventing the wheel. <laughs> Come on. Yeah. 
Dale Vince with his wheelbase proclivities. What is he like? You know, it was a bit of that, wasn't it? But um, she is the gift that keeps on giving, Dale. Huh. And I remember that uh, I'm, I'm going to fact check her on social media because at, w- at one point I said, if we just spent half of what we wasted in the energy crisis, we could build all the infrastructure we need to have 100% electricity, green electricity. And she said, but that's only 20% of total demand, which I doubted to be true. We checked. It's not, right? It's, it's nearly a third of total energy demand in our country. So I'm just going to put it straight on that little fact. Not that it would be a small thing anyway if we could get to 100% green electricity. I mean, who goes with 20% or 30% uh, of yeah. our total demand? It's, it's, it's bloody important. Indeed. Hi, I'm Mike Graham from Talk TV, and I've been asked to tell you about green issues in a new book called Manifesto. It's brilliant, apparently. Do you believe in climate change? I don't. Do you believe we all need to find a greener way of living our lives? No, I don't either. I think it's all a load of guff perpetuated by loony lefties and eco-zealots hell-bent on causing a nuisance. Do you believe we're all killing our beautiful planet? No. Neither do I, but I know a fellow who does. His name's Dale Vince. He's so convinced he's written a whole book about it called Manifesto. The Battle for Green Britain. It's part memoir, part handbook for changing the world and shaking it up, apparently. I won't be buying it, but you can if you want to waste your hard-earned cash. It's $4.99. Pretty cheap, isn't it? You must be wealthy as hell. According to this script, it's available now from fgr.co.uk forward slash shop. Another headline here, Dale, rapid ocean warming alarms scientists. Well, it kind of should do, I guess, uh, but perhaps scientists didn't quite expect the data to read as it did. No, I mean, I think they need a chat with Howard, right? Why didn't they send Howard in there? Howard and Julia on a mission. There's a Netflix show. (laughs) He'll say, guys, it's just the weather. He'll say, you're not old enough to remember the heat wave of the 70s, he'll say, but I am, and don't worry. That's what he said to me, wasn't it? (laughs) Without him realizing, it was a really lovely compliment there. Uh, which suggested at, at one point he obviously thought you were in your 20s. <laughs> <That's not. laughs> he, he he you, were, you weren't alive in 1976, he said. So that would mean <clears throat> that the, the oldest he's suggesting you are is like 45 or something. Yeah, exactly. The oldest, like yeah. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And this is part of him denying that uh, the, uh, the record temperatures of last summer killed you know, nearly 40,000 people across Europe. He, he thinks I just made that up. But I pointed out, governments published this data. All you've got to do is add it up. No, no, no. I can't, I can't let you get away with that, Dale. That's just an emotive fact, isn't it? Come on. <laughs> That's, it's, a, it's an awful go, fact. Go and, go and uninvent something, for goodness sake. <laughs> <laughs> but this, uh, this ocean warming story, in the last 15 years, the Earth has accumulated as much heat as in the last 45. So I just want to like throw that little stat bomb in there. You know, we're, we're accelerating the rate at which we're, we're getting hotter uh, on the planet. And uh, there's no end of that in sight, not yet. This from Helen at LinkedIn says, uh, what was the best bit about living in a fire engine then, Dale? What is she talking about? <laughs> well, I used to live in a fire engine. I probably lived in it for and How have you years. suddenly revealed this? You've just lived in a fire engine. Oh, it's not sudden. I think maybe, you know... No, but I don't think we've discussed it. What are your fire engine years? No, maybe not. It's in my book. It's one of the vehicles that I lived in in that 10 years on the road. Is there any room in a fire engine other than the cabin, or was it hollowed out? Well, it's an interesting vehicle. I found it in a field in Wales, and it was basically a chassis cab, which means there was nothing on the back, just a front end. But the front end was a crew cab, which they have in fire engines, you know, for a bunch of crew to be in them. Yeah. And I converted the crew cab into uh, something with a with a pull-down bed and uh, stuck a crane on the back and made a tow truck out of it and dropped a diesel engine in where the petrol engine was and um, just turned it into a four-wheel drive tow truck and lived in the cab happily for about five years. 
Wow, because they're quite big, aren't they? Because they get about like ten blokes in them when they're when they're on <laughs> yeah. a when they're on a shout. This one wasn't that big. I reckon <laughs> uh, you you might have got four blokes in this one, but it was big enough. Uh, you know, I, I kind of like small spaces. I had a great time. Took it across Europe and done all kinds of stuff in it. And, Fantastic, uh, super truck. Did you have a big horn? Actually, I did. I had a a thing called a gas axe, uh, which is an oxygen acetylene blowing torch. used it in scrapyards to cut vehicles and stuff. But I adapted one to blow air into an air horn because they have like a lever that, that, you know, boosts the oxygen flow. So I had an adapted gas. There's probably a lot of detail nobody's going to get. But I had an oxyacetylene cutting torch adapted to blow my air horn. And if you were like, you know, stuck in traffic, did you stick the blue lights on and (laughs) give it large? Uh, I stayed cool. I love that thought. I love that thought. I do know somebody who used to have a like one of those magnetic blue lights that they put on the top of their car. Uh huh. If they if they were yeah, very not completely illegal. Yeah, you know, unless it was a cop that you happen to know. No, no, this was just a a, a bloke. I mean, he was an arsehole, Don't get me wrong, but he decided that <laughs> he was. But definitely not a yeah, definitely not a cop. Um, and he would just whack this thing on the top of his car, and traffic would move out the way for him. How he never got caught, I don't know. Maybe he did get caught. Well, I had a mad set of flashing yellow lights across the top. There were like four of them, and they contra-rotated, and they had mirrors in between them, and, and it sent the most crazy pattern of lights around the sky in a 360-degree arc. That had a similar impact. Yeah. Well, isn't that just like a very sort of VIP AA man? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hippie coming through. Move over, please. I love it. Uh, Europe's biggest petrochemical plant in 30 years, a carbon bomb, a court has heard. Uh, that's a pretty disturbing headline. Pretty shocking, and it involves uh, somebody we've talked about here before. I think Jim Ratcliffe, the uh, yep. the man behind Ineos, the you know the the man that wanted to frack Britain, the the, the Brexiteer, yeah, that, yeah. Uh, lobbied for Brexit and then fucked off abroad like so many others did. <laughs> you got to love that. Not having um, this shit, he said. Pissed <laughs> <laughs> off. The hypocrisy of the people. But yeah, he's he's the man behind it, and he's got a whole bunch of other people up in arms. Fourteen organisations in a Flemish court this week. Wow, it's being called Project One. I'm not sure why. But they're hoping to, to stop this thing taking place because it is pulling entirely in the wrong direction in terms of, you know, they're going to make a shitload of plastic and yeah, all yeah. kinds of bad things there. Uh, this from Richard, uh, who said, I was interested to hear your plan to instill solar panels on schools. It's a great idea. But are you aware of solarforschools.co.uk, which is doing exactly the same thing? Would it make more sense to partner with them rather than build the same business model from scratch? Fair question. Uh, It is a fair question, and I kind of heard the name, and I will ask my people to reach out and have a chat to them, see what they're about. We weren't going to start a business. Uh, We were going to put some money into this, uh, enough to fund the first 100 schools. And and it's really uh, something we just wrangling with at the moment the detail of that is is how much benefit to give the individual school in terms of reduced electricity bills or how much of that to roll up into a rolling fund to convert the next school and the next school so that uh we get a different kind of benefit we get more people taking part in stuff like that rather than uh, 100 schools with uh, much lower energy bills sounds good christine on facebook says is there going to be a forest green rovers and sea shepherd beach clean this year Uh, maybe you could bring your Hovercraft. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think there probably will be. I don't actually know. But if there is, then I will definitely want to be bringing the Hovercraft. Tell it for those who are not aware of what you did before. Tell us more. Uh, yeah, it's like a combined action. Uh, I was on uh, d- down by Western Supermare on the beach there. And, and it really is just a, uh, you know, a bunch of uh, activists, volunteers walking down the beach, picking up rubbish and, and having a good time. I think you should take Howard Cox with you. <laughs> 
You and Howard on the hovercraft. I think that'd work a treat. Mm. I'm just saying that. I'm just putting it out there, you know? I'm I'm just, uh, I'm speechless. That's so rare. That's so rare. And and very random. Uh, What about this, though, for a headline? UK's first vegan cat cafe opens in Canterbury. And just to clear up confusion, this is nothing to do with eating cats. (laughs) No, apparently not. It's a thing, isn't it, cat cafes? I don't know when it started, but there was one in Stroud uh, not so long ago. I don't know if you're sure. Isn't it people who've got too much money? Too many cats, I think. It's too many cats. Yeah, but I mean, what you take your cat to a cafe? I mean, oh no, I don't think you do that. I think you go to a cafe that's got a bunch of cats. So the one in Canterbury, uh, the person organising it has got twenty-one cats, uh, and they're going to be like uh, in the shop. And the idea is you you go into the cafe, have a cup of tea or something, and and you chill out because you're a cat fan and you're surrounded by cats or something like that. I mean, I get you know, I don't mind a cat, but I don't want to eat with twenty-one of them. That's not, I don't think that's an unreasonable prerequisite for going for a meal, is it? No, I don't think so either. So I won't be going. But listen, fair play to them, and you know. I mean, if it was a, if it was a ferret cafe, then you're talking because they're really interesting bits of kit ferrets. Oh, I don't know. But, I don't know. I have no idea. But at know. least it's a vegan cafe, so you know, I'm I'm on board yeah. for that. So have you ever handled a ferret? I haven't. I'm surprised because you've been out in the country. You know, you know the terrain of the countryside. Your ferret is a beauty. It's a wonderful, wonderful thing. It's got a kind of kinship with you. Because, you know, when you look at a cat, a cat just looks at you. If a cat had an air bubble above its head, when it looks at you, it would just say, asshole. Because that's (laughs) what a cat does, doesn't it? It doesn't, it, it just thinks so badly of us as humans. Whereas dogs just go, can I be your friend? A ferret is like, Let's go out. Come on. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go for a night out. That's a ferret. That's your difference in those three particular beasts. For some reason, I'm thinking of Nigel Farage there. I have no idea why. But uh, maybe, maybe there should be a vegan Nigel Farage cafe opening. <laughs> 21 Farage lookalikes serving you food all the time. Now, there you see, we're onto something here. Maybe. I'm not convinced. Or, or Howard's, I don't know, Julia's, Howard. maybe. There's a whole theme here, themed cafes. How about the cabinet? How about the cabinet of our government? <laughs> <laughs> we could call it the shit show cafe. <laughs> That's right, yeah. Your maitre d' this week is Oliver Dowden. That's going to be brilliant. Yeah. And serving desserts, it's Grant Shaps. He would be there. Shaps, he would definitely be there. He'd pitch in. Yeah, I reckon he would. I, I think he would. would. I wouldn't. <laughs> uh, here's a question from oliver who says dale what is going on with oil and gas prices long term at the moment are they back to pre-ukraine invasion levels it seems so complicated for an outsider like me to understand yeah when are our energy prices going to go back to normal they're on the way down um they were they peaked in january at a typical bill being four thousand pounds a year uh, in april they dropped making it more or less three thousand pounds we can see them coming in down again in August because the uh, Ofgem now changes it every three months based on uh, future prices of energy. Going to come down to two thousand pounds late summer, and that will be roughly twice what they used to be pre the crisis because it wasn't just a Ukrainian invasion. We had an energy crisis of a different kind as well, uh, and they just combined to make that kind of craziness that we experienced. When they get back down to normal levels, is just a different question. Yeah. I don't think it'll be in the next couple of years. Why is that? Is that just about Ukraine? Is there something else going on? Nah, not at all anymore because Europe survived the winter without Russian gas and a lot of the fear in that £4,000 a year price was about how Europe would cope and stuff like that, but they've done it now. It'll be much easier next winter. They've been really busy building uh, facilities, cutting energy consumption, all that kind of stuff. You know, they just get on with shit while we we bang our gums about how great we are and we used to rule the world, you know. 
we, we couldn't even advise our people to use less gas, if you remember. The government said that would make them like a nanny state. And, uh, and so they said, people can use what they want, but we might have power cuts. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> yeah, Brilliant. that also wasn't in the um, Telegraph headline, was it? So. Yeah, it wasn't, wasn't it? So I think, uh, you know, it's not about uh, the war in Ukraine anymore, but but global prices of fossil fuels are driven by speculators and the, the cartel, uh, OPEC, yeah. the producer's cartel. They regulate the amount of supply. Uh, in order to keep the price where they want it. And I think they've they've been enjoying these these super high prices. So it's kind of rigged at the moment, really. They've just kept it high when they could been rigged for it. decades. I mean, you know, the, the, these are the oil producers. They decide how much to make. They look at what demand is, decide how much to make. They create the shortage that drives the price up, which enriches them. It's, it's a mad, maddening open uh, manipulation of uh, what's meant to be a, a free market. Yeah, and all perfectly legal, which is the most mysterious part about <laughs> it. There we go. That is it for this episode. Have a cracking week, Dale. Fantastic. Thank you. See you soon on the radio. Yeah. Don't forget to follow this podcast from your podcast provider so that you get each new episode automatically. Leave a review there as well. If you want to get in touch, you can do so. Zero Carbonista at ecotristy.co.uk. Really important bit. Follow Dale on social media. That's twitter.com slash dalevince, facebook.com slash dalevince, on TikTok and on Insta too. Zero carbon east off.